Thank you for joining us for another edition of the Theater Accident Podcast. The Theater Accident Podcast will present newly produced and archival audio dramas based on Theater Accident's original productions. Theater Accident is dedicated to live and digital performances that examine the collision between an audience and its expectations. The Sea, the Mountain, the Forest, the City, the Plain is written by Matthew Freeman. The play was originally produced in October of 2019 at the Brick Theater in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, under the direction of David Cody. The play was performed by Robert Honeywell. Sound design was by Chris Chappelle, lighting design by Nicholas Hufick, and scene design by Carrie Lee Chipman. The stage manager was Jody Witherell. What you're about to hear is from a live performance recorded by Daniel McKleinfeld. This is not pristine audio. It was recorded with a mic designed for record-keeping, not broadcast. And while we're aware this is an era of audio made with perfection and care, we hope you'll enjoy the sound for its imperfect flavor and appreciate the rare feeling of overhearing a performance as it was performed with live audience responses. The title of the piece is inspired by this quote from Text for Nothing by Samuel Beckett. Sometimes it's the sea, other times the mountains, often it was the forest, the city, the plain too. I flirted with the plain too. I've given myself up for dead all over the place, of hunger, of old age, murdered, drowned, and then for no reason, of tedium, nothing like breathing your last to put new life in you. And now, the sea, the mountain, the forest, the city, the plain, as performed by Robert Honeywell. Started at the sea together, arm in arm, but soon I lost sight of him and then I was alone again. It was a very long walk, with two of us over quite a distance. Well, all right, not so far, but far enough. Far enough that my feet hurt. And yes, they always hurt, and yes, I need new shoes, but still, I lost sight of him and was alone, which is the point. We left off our makeshift home to take our rest at last, <laughs> and the sea seemed like a good place for it. Northeastern sea, rocky and brown edges. <laughs> seemed right to me, apropos of something, of the way things were back home. He and I, we lived together, our loves long gone, mine dead, his left, which is all right. We had cigarettes and scotch. <laughs> we had the library and footrests and sometimes other things. <laughs> At least we did it first. Things run out, <laughs> but not time. Your own time, yes, it will run out. <laughs> but time will keep on after you're gone and even after there's no more scotch. <laughs> Barely a pleasant word passed between us. All conversation was a struggle. And yet, we both had a kind of admiration for the water. How it is hopeless and ceaseless. How it just keeps at it. And how it wrecks everything. <laughs> and how it's where shipwrecks happen. When there were ships. When there were wrecks. Imagine... A shipwreck, a remarkable to see one from the shore. Just one more thing I'll never see. 
And so, where were we? The sea, yes. We were at the sea because it seemed apropos, and then I lost sight of him. Perhaps he fell, I thought. Slipped on a mossy patch. <laughs> Gone forever. <laughs> Lucky me. <laughs> Lucky him. Idiot. Lost forever. Or so I thought. We were not fleet of foot or deft. <laughs> you may well remember the article in the newspaper about the botched burglary. The burglar who slipped into a house full of mourners and stole almost everything right from under their noses, only to be caught as he walked out of the house, arms full, and broke his ankle on a migrating turtle. <laughs> that was me. For context. <laughs> and so we were at the sea, arm in arm, feet in pain. Before he slipped away, so I thought. I asked him that at the end of our lives, the final moment, then would he please apologize for his indiscretions? We approached it, or so I thought. Arrangements, agreements were at hand. I asked him to apologize at least for his diet, which produced so much misery for me. He was quiet mostly, as I asked this one concession before we went poof. He shrugged the shrug of a man who wasn't listening, or maybe couldn't hear. Even now, I sometimes wonder which he was. Come to think of it, weeks did go by when he did little but nod in response to the sound of my voice. He would wave his hand towards his mouth for food, or waggle his finger towards something he couldn't reach. We went once to buy some squid and parchment at the little stone shop in Barnview, and the entire time he pointed up at the sky and barely peeked. I don't know what it was all about. Deafness or shyness, I'll never know now. As he was missing, I sat on the beach. What I'll call now a beach. To wait for him. My buttocks warmed in the wet sand. And I felt the chill rise up over the heat of the day. And I thought of the plane. Yes. In the future, the plane. Yes, the place I would be someday. Perhaps the plane. <laughs> or perhaps I believe I did now because where we are informs where we thought we might be. I imagined myself being found sitting upright with a wet backside and no pulse. <laughs> then, tossed by vagrants or hooligans into the sea, pockets empty. At last, unburdened, I lay back and listened to the sea. The sea said that it could come and go as it pleased. The sea said it paid no rent. The sea said it was filled with animals. The sea asked questions and no one answered. The questions were about the moon, about gravity. I wish the sea would shut the fuck up. <laughs> Let me just lie there and maybe stop moving. But it was making a racket. The sea would do, but the mountains north were our aim. I sat up and I remembered a boat he'd stowed nearby in case he needed to fish or be alone. I never left him alone, but I missed him when he was gone, despite the smell. I didn't miss the smell. 
Only a man of low character awaits a person in would be it. <laughs> the emissions are discarded from the body. From the person they've left. Blame the emissions for how they are. But leave those they've left alone. Maybe while I was breaking wind and sucking air after our march to ocean side, he'd given me the slip and run for his rowboat. He would take the boat along the sand north towards some jutting cliffs that protruded from the mountains in the distance. Perhaps he thought he'd lie on a great rock there, looking up at the sky, mountains underfoot, him clinging to them like an upside-down barnacle. <laughs> Did he think he could do this without me? After every meal I'd shoved between his rotten teeth, after we'd both thrown stones from the garden path. <laughs> and so I hoisted myself on the low sand, Oh, and saw that the tide now tapped my toes, <laughs> and began to look for where he had tied up the boat. It took me hours to suss out the location, piecing it together with the shit for brains in my skull. Here is how I reasoned it out. If you can call it reasoning it out, because I would not call it that, but you might. First, I recall quite vividly almost nothing about our original exchange. <laughs> yes, he'd stowed the boat nearby, but as I moved slowly, what was once nearby is now very far away. It was once that I would jaunt to town and pick up a few crusts for coin, but now, Jesus, I swear I haven't been to town in a week, and when I do go, I complain about it every moment I'm there, and then once I'm back, I complain about it some more. So, the word nearby could be no help. I decided to discard it, as I've done so many things, like my old reading glasses and my sense of humor. <laughs> but he did say he stowed it, and that meant it wasn't just right up the way. It was tucked away somewhere, and that meant probably one of three shacks that were within walking distance of our little vista, our hammocks, and what we left at the garden. One of the sheriffs did not belong to us, but I do not know who it belonged to. It was further south, and all uphill. I usually think of going south as going downhill, but of course it makes no difference to the equator whether or not you're going up or down. <laughs> Knowing that he would not walk a boat uphill, nor place it inside a shack that had been bolted and locked as long as I knew it. Aha! Eliminated one place! <laughs> I pointed at my head when I realized I had narrowed it down. As if to say, good old brain, which it isn't, not at all. <laughs> then I thought that leaves two, because maths or a part of any good deduction. <laughs> One of the shacks, wooden and crooked, was nowhere near the water. The other belonged to us and was quite close to our <laughs> Perfect, I thought. It is in the one that is neither locked nor convenient. Because I was likely to come across something stowed in my very own shack. The one I most frequent, but the unlikely one. That's a bit of a distance from the sea. It was there. I knew. <laughs> the rowboat. Stowed for safekeeping. Not safe from the elements, mind you, but for me. <laughs> My dear friend. 
what's his name, had, had run off for his rowboat in the worst shack I could think of, nearby Arden Arcade. But of course, not at all. Not at all. Because if you recall, we had walked very far from there. By the time it occurred to me, he was gone. I had lost sight of him, not nearby our place of residence, nor where our bills arrived, but after a day and evening's hike. And so the rowboat, which I now knew the location of, was a dead end. <laughs> not any place he would have got to, not, not even a good option for him. He had not run off for it, but at least I knew where it was. <laughs> and isn't that always the way? One thing discovered, but a thing of no use. One worm found beneath a stone, but what you really need is a grub. Then I heard it. His voice calling out for me. He lost sight of me, too. Sight isn't always a two way street. Many people see me coming long before I see them. But in this case, <laughs> we were both lost to each other at once. And it was almost good to know. He said that. The fog had confused him, and he would meet me on the mountain, as we discussed. I called out, what do you mean disgust? I really was curious what he meant by the word. <laughs> <laughs> but by the time I cried out for him, wherever he was, I heard nothing, nothing at all. He was gone, and so was I. We were off to the mountain, together, as he said. Of course, we're on our own. You may wonder, as I do, well, not wonder, but hope to know, was this the plan from the beginning? To walk arm in arm to the summit? It must have been. I thought to myself at that time, and again now, from where was his voice coming? I had no earthly idea, and still don't. And don't go blaming my worthless eyes or bad hearing. For all we know, he was hiding behind a rock, having a good laugh. And so, I had a decision to make. Head to the mountain, where he said I was going to begin with, or something else. And as I could not remember the original intention, I would have to make up a new one, or just go back to where I came from, my mother's belly, for example. <laughs> <laughs> the path of least resistance was the hardest climb, and so it was six of one, half a dozen of the other, and so I just started walking forward along the shore until I realized that I was on a path. And then I saw a little marker on the path. Elevation, maybe? I think that's what it was on about. The path appeared to look away from shore towards some woods. The forest. But it always seemed to get steeper through that pass. Yes, I said, uphill. Uh, <laughs> burn me down, uphill. 
I shall walk that way. <laughs> that must be what my friend means by mountains. And damn it all, lie beside him at the top because what else am I going to do? When I was a boy, I got lost in the forest. My mother had sent me to pick something. Leaves, I, I don't know, moss, moss. The wood was near the back of my childhood home, or perhaps we shouldn't call it my home, because I spent not one cent on it. <laughs> Never meant a dime on it when the estate was settled either. Still, <laughs> I was young enough to be sent on errands, but not yet mature enough to have lost my imagination. I believed I was on a quest for magical ingredients to a potion, I think, that would turn my sainted mother into a dog. <laughs> I wanted a dog more than I wanted a mother, after all. <laughs> the other boys all had dogs and adored them. Not all of them had mothers on account of the rate of mortality among women in the village. It was high, the rate. Of course, the rate of mortality among everyone is high, but for women in my village, it seemed especially so. My mother was in her 40s. Everyone marveled. <laughs> Where was I? Lost! I was lost! <laughs> it was mushrooms. I was supposed to pick them, but only certain ones. No, no, it was moss. But why moss? Fuck it! Let's call it moss. <laughs> My mother had sent me to pick moss, and I got lost in the forest. I had been wandering and picking up sticks and stones, eyes down, for so long that when I finally rose, I realized that every tree in every direction was identical. I thought I'll just turn around before I get lost, but it was too late. I had already once turned around to take in the sameness of the world, to appreciate the bland uniformity of all things natural. But one turn is all it takes, and when you're eight years old, you've been spanked good by God. You've no sense at all. Did I find my way home? Here I am before you now. So there's evidence at least I didn't die. I didn't die then, and I didn't die yesterday. I could die tomorrow, and I will die someday, and when I do, I will probably beg in my last moments for one more second of breath. I will be so afraid, I promise you, of oblivion, of becoming nothingness. Right now, I seem as if I am exhausted by every word, as if I cannot wait to lie down and be taken away and never return. But when the true moment comes, I will balk and lose my nerve. The second after I die, it will be as if I never spoke the words I'm speaking now. <laughs> I will forget you, and forget myself, and I won't even know that I ever was, or you were, or that I loved, or what I miss about loving. I will not miss breath, or pain, or the sea, or the smell of chocolate. I will never have a chocolate. There will have never been the sea. There will be no eight-year-old boy who got lost in the woods after foraging for moss. All nothing and not at peace. It is not peaceful to be erased any more than it is violent. It is nothing, and that is terrible. The only truly terrible thing. Perhaps you noticed when I was speaking just then, I passed a little bit of gas. <laughs> it was between the words exhausted and chocolate. Somewhere between them. It started on that word and was done by the other. This was a quiet, it wasn't loud, but Jesus, woo. 
It's going to be memorable. <laughs> Ironic to leave such a lasting impression just when I'm in my throes talking bullshit about leaving no impression at all. <laughs> my guess is a reminder that when I first addressed you, I was eating a sandwich. I didn't think to make much mention of it at the time, because what is it? Nothing. You eat and I eat, and to make it a production is vanity and sloth all at once. What is vanity mixed with sloth? Indulgence. Oh. <laughs> mm. Mm. <laughs> it was a pickle sandwich on white bread. <laughs> Hold the everything! <laughs> I used to make them myself. I can describe the process to you in the manner of the day. First I went to the local grocery near my home. A flea bag named Montrose owned it, but he'd owned it for a long time. And took it over after his father and his father's father, which I think you would call it... Grandfather! It's in a state of disrepair. Montrose only buys things from the farmers who are adjacent. I call that laziness. <laughs> These farmers are all bastards, and they treat their cattle with abuse and disrespect. But they are local, very. <laughs> I used to trade for some plain white bread there, soft as a wife's weeping. <laughs> then I bought pickles in a jar. I didn't make them at home, because someone already made them for me and put them in a jar. <laughs> to make them myself would have been a waste of everyone's time, and who am I trying to impress? <laughs> then I put the sliced pickles, dill please, sweet gherkins can die in hell, <laughs> on the bread. <laughs> Does it get soggy, you might wonder? Quite. <laughs> it can't be helped. But you get used to the sog, you really do. The way it sinks into the toes. The way it makes a nice day cold contaminates your toes. Where did I leave myself? A forest! A forest! Yes! A winding path. I've known women, and some men, many of them, I'd say a majority, who think of woods as magical. Maybe there's a unicorn or some slop in there, they think. <laughs> Perhaps the sun will dapple, or the gentle leaves will offer us cover from the sun, or the dappled leaves will shine onto the sun from below. <laughs> Every forest is not built on verdancy, but rots. Everything grows on everything else. Nothing is private or discreet. It's all dirt touching roots, hanging onto dead branches, which are filled with beetles. You can't walk barefoot like you can on the shore. No, 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 because you'll cut your foot on a stone or break off your big toenail on a knotted log. Poisoned ivy, poisoned oak, poisonous frogs, poisonous berries. Everything wants to trip you, hang on to you, give you a rash, poison you, and cut you up. Not to mention the animals. The terrified animals who run and hide and hate you. They're not shy. They're not bashful. They're wailing warnings to one another in a language we cannot understand to hide their true intentions, to help one another escape, to organize. <laughs> the forest is more gray than brown, more brown than green. It's not offering its branches to you in an invitation. It's not even thinking about you. It's talking to itself. Well, they're all talking to each other in there. 
Doesn't it like how heavily you stomp or what you leave behind when you pick up camp? He looks at the canteen and thinks, what, the creek isn't good enough for you? Don't you have two good hands? <laughs> Walking through a forest is like attending a funeral for someone you've never met. Still, there I was, dragging my carcass past the carcasses, looking for some scant sign left by my only friend, toothless as he was. As he is. One would hope. At that time, I was a firm believer that he was on his way into the mountains. He must have been. And this was winding up, up, up in a way, a, a kind of sloping angle, just a little bit higher each step. One might ask why he came this way, but one would not be me. I thought that I should call out his name, maybe attempt to get his attention. He couldn't have been that far ahead or that far away. Cripes, what if he's behind me? I thought, what if I've got it all wrong? But I didn't cry out. I won't bother regretting it the way I do my choice of doctor and studying German instead of French. <laughs> oh, like you've never thought. Ooh, that would have been the right thing to do. Why didn't I do it? You're probably thinking that right now about your alternative plans for the evening. <laughs> I could have seen a film, you're saying to yourself. I could have gone to church and rethought things. Instead, here I am with this man in his suitcase. And what is he on about, really? But. Here comes the best part. Well, no, 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 no. Here comes the next part. <laughs> the path through the woods, the only path I could see, showed me some sign that I might be truly following. Because there, right against a tree, was this. This belonged to him. And there it was. I knew it immediately. I long observed how he labored to move it more and more over time. He kept too much of it. Things he didn't need. Pictures. Books he'd already read. A carefully cleaned skeleton of a rat he'd watched die on our front path. He kept it in a little baggie. Early on, lugged his traveling case as a self-identifying quirk. Evidence of his uniqueness. The man with the odd case. Maybe he'll open it. What do you think he keeps in it? Snake oil? The spirit of the Navajo? Polluted water? A time machine. Soot. Then he began to fall forward, creak in, cracked. His hips wouldn't do the things he wanted them to do. His feet 
turned inward. Hair on his elbows, muscles stringy, ears cauliflowered from being boxed by local ruffians. He could barely lift the thing, and so he just kind of dragged it around. Like the chains he forged in life. <laughs> As someone once said, your mother. What I thought, or rather wondered, was it doing here alone? It could not be left behind, I knew, or assumed, because he had carried it, dragged it for so long. He must have gone into the bushes to shit. And wipe himself with poisoned oak. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, I thought. He must have given himself quite a rash and left the case behind because he did not want to shit on it. Oh, okay. And so, like any stalwart follower of the lost soul, I waited where I assumed he would return. I stood by the case, then leaned against it, then sat on it, then, as the light began to fade, laid down with my head on it, then awoke with my drool on it, wet with my sleep. It was then I realized that he had not abandoned the case temporarily, but permanently the way he had his son to that doorstep. But he had come this way. The case was proof, for certain. He'd come this way, and so I should continue. And I did continue. As you can see, I still carry the case with me. Here it is, as sure as you're born and sure as you will die. I took the case in my hand, and I followed the path forward, up, really, until I realized that if I looked behind me, I could see I was rising above the tree line. The mountains in the distance were now underfoot. I had climbed, and I was climbing gradually, yes, so slowly, but isn't everything? Doesn't it take forever for the next breath to come, and the next? I hoisted this middling traveling sack on the rock-formed steps before me, and I hoisted myself up, forced behind me, up, up, to what I had called mountains, what were really just jutting hills that eventually formed a promontory overlooking whichever sea we are near, or always near. The sea that causes the damp, that ruins all the papers, all the shoes. Still, a mountain? Less so than I thought. It's all about perspective, isn't it? One man's mountain is another man's puddle. I guess it's also about convex and concave and geometry, but, but perspective plays a part, doesn't it? 
<laughs> even if it isn't everything, even if it's not all about perspective. <laughs> As my knees buckled <laughs> and my knees ached, as the parts of my body, once separated by cartilage, scraped together, ah, as my sweet sweat soaked the wrappings of my clothes, <laughs> I replayed what must have happened. <laughs> he came through a forest path <laughs> to hike up a mountain through a scenic wood. Realizing the degree of difficulty of the climb ahead, <laughs> he abandoned his long-held release. A smart play. His only correct move. <laughs> if this man was playing chess against pain and fate, he had only pawns left, and yet somehow, here, he had taken a rook on the diagonal. <laughs> but me, I treat as one master stroke as something to correct. I walk the fucker all the way up, thinking that once I'd gotten to where we both were going, I could be relieved of it. <laughs> I present it to him as if presenting my family's grain as tax to a petty king. <laughs> the rocks were pointed and spindly, and the air felt cleaner and less pine infested. <laughs> I could feel myself near the very place. The summit, the apex, the championship ring! There! I would hand to him, or toss at him, the case he had left behind. This one, here in my hand, I plan to hound him with expletives, to berate him for wandering off without any good explanation, expecting no apology, because when had he ever apologized? Not once in his muck-colored life. Then. As was the original plan, we would set a little picnic blanket out. And we would lie there, looking up at the sky, high enough to have unobstructed vision, as if the earth below, the earth that had done so little to help, the earth and the, and the land that make up the earth, and its citizenry, and its trash collectors, and senators, and ministers, and hairdressers, as if they were all gone, already passed. Blow, 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 blow. Then, then we hoped our hearts would just kind of give up, stop, all at once, having nothing else to do. And we could finally just be gone, like so many things were already. Of course I was afraid, <laughs> but I made up my mind, and that was that, dead at the top, Alongside the toothless trouble I had fed by hand, my friend. This was the blanket we were meant to use. As you can see, it is unsullied by anything except time. I made no use of it, save once, and except to make demonstrations such as this one. He was not there, as you now know. As I'm sure you suspected, 
If you didn't suspect it. Then what the hell do you use your brains for? <laughs> Throwing rocks at ducks. <laughs> I then learned that to ascertain one has finished climbing is not so easy. It can be hard to know when one has reached the summit. There always seems to be one more little dip in ascent. One more obstructed path upwards. Yes, the path had ceased, but there was not even a sign to mark it. As if someone just quit right bothering, or, or was taken away by a predatory bird. <laughs> I looked around and saw nothing, but suspected there was more to see than just a rocky hill at the top of the path, with a few trees to block my view. It wasn't even a nice view, if I'm honest. Why wouldn't I be? The clouds weren't even puffy and dramatic. Just thin lines of gray folded over each other like bedsheets in an underfunded hospital. <laughs> Still, the craggy stripped trees were between me and it. ground level, and I rested on my hands and knees. I thought I must look like a turtle that had escaped predators at the shore and just kept on running. Still, my quest bubbled up for me without my insistence. The only breaking of the silence was my own as I made sounds that were either alarm or inquisition. Not a peep. From God, man, fish, fowl, or friend. Then, as before, I propped myself on the police. My friend was invisible. Or, or I passed him on the road. Or he had not come this way at all. If he had, even if he had not intended to leave his mark behind, even if he'd meant to give me the slip, he should have been lying there, dead. If the climb didn't kill him outright, he might have just died because of our agreement. That he should do so. That I would follow shortly thereafter. If he'd meant to give me the slip, I thought, why then did he speak to me? Why did he tell me to go where we discussed? This was the point of discussion. Here I was. Or at least, there I was. When I was there. Then. The piece of shit had fooled me. Not a hard climb to fool me. Not for most. For him, it should have been impossible. A not intelligence to speak of, none. He could barely count the dogs that bit him. Or remember his own name during raids or muggings. Then I thought, I will show him who is who. Who is clever. I resolved to lie on this blanket and execute, for lack of a better word, the plan alone. 
leave him in the lurch, so to speak, by croaking in the sun. It would serve him right. You might ask me, did you bring arsenic for the purpose? No, I did not. You might ask, did you bring a knife to slice your own throats? I did not. Did you think ahead, you might ask, to the purpose at hand? You can drown in the sea or be killed by bears in the forest, but here, at the top of a mountain, with nothing, no one, not even help. How did you intend to kill yourself? Jump from the top, get a running start, from a prone position on some worthless sheet? At that time, I thought that my will to live was so dim the life inside me was so threadbare that if I were to lie there and listen to the wheezing misery of my friend and just wait and did not feed myself, my spirit would mercifully exit. That I would be freed by the sheer force of my own lack of will. That the noxious disbelief in my own value would have diseased me sufficiently to render me lifeless. I now look back and see that more is required to die than just good sense. <laughs> In fact, you need either bravery or a really good long illness or terrible luck or to be somewhere in the middle of the food chain. Nonetheless, in the moment that I now recollect, I decided to die to spite my friend. I lay back on the picnic blanket, crossed my arms in the manner of a corpse. I imagined my breath slowing. I attempted to slow it myself. I tried to be still, so still. I even covered my mouth with my hands, and then my nose. <laughs> but I was betrayed. My body was burning from the hike, my lungs hurt, and still, I was resilient. I had gone my whole life believing that I was delicate and frail. <laughs> my toenails barely stayed on when I tripped. Little parts of my body were always scabbed or bleeding. My digestion was a horror. <laughs> you cannot imagine. <laughs> I won't go deeper. <laughs> but to say that I diagnosed myself in the toilet and found myself lacking, would not be too much. <laughs> My friend, Mr. Invisible, was even worse off. We were not an attractive pair. <laughs> Since the times had changed, of course our nutrition was awful. So many things were gone now. <laughs> I was told that the cattle the farmers sold was dangerous now, that even my pickle sandwiches were filth. To blame me for believing that simply lying down with intention would end it? is to blame a snowflake for respecting the sun.
participate with the boredom. As I lay there, nothing happened. Death not coming. Friend not coming. Nothing. My brain would not be silent. Not even so much about death itself, which for some reason my mind would not latch on to. No, I saw visions, which I can only assume are memories. Memories are half made up anyway, so these were maybe just mythology. <laughs> but they could have happened to me. My mother's death at last, surrounded by people I did not know and did not know me. The creek filled with crayfish that I waded in up to my thighs. The only woman that ever got on top of me and bore her weight down until I squirmed out a few drops. <laughs> when I opened my eyes, barely any time appeared to have passed. <laughs> the sun hadn't moved much. The light was the same. How long do I have to lie here? With nothing to do! Not even seems breathe my last. The boredom eventually spurred me to action. I sat up as a freed from bindings and called out his name until I heard my voice echo. Why spare the vocal cords after all? Choir practice. <laughs> I called from sitting, then kneeling, then standing. I jumped up and down. Ah! 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 Nothing, barely an echo. <laughs> As my voice gave up! Ah! <laughs> it was then I saw it. I'd approached the mountain from the south shore, then gone west through the forest, <laughs> then come northeast to the promontory, but north further inland, northwest of the peak, really, was a great husk of a city. The city, one might say. It was not the only one, of course. But it was the city we had known, its commerce grown through the ships that once sailed here, when there were ships, when there was here. The city was called A name, and the name was important to me. It was a place I would be one day, I remember, when there were places, when there were days. The city was, I think, not large compared to most cities, and it boasted some tallish buildings and a grid of streets and roads that came from all over, feeding into its borders. It would have been easy for me to hike up to that place and survey the city when my legs were better when I was a child, to see it living, my legs were never good, but the pain would have been less. Still, I didn't. And now, when the city could do no harm nor, nor good, I saw it all as if it was a collection of dollhouses. So much was gone now. So many things would never be again. Yet, yes, there were people. People like you, yes. But as you well know, the cities were empty. Not even dangerously filled, not even used for shelter. They had been 
run from shutter. <laughs> I, I cannot remember why. And this one, the sitting near the place of my birth, seemed exceedingly lifeless, exceptionally hollowed. My dreams were of that city. My hopes. I thought that I thought that I might see a play there. Maybe one with the Celestines. I imagined having one set of shoes for writing and another for receiving. I imagined using a telephone or trying one of the little whirly gigs of the time. Expensive little things, all those really. <laughs> they might have been as well now, they're the end of all things, but I still wanted to hold on to my hearts. My friend lived there before he came to the seashore to live near and then with me. He was quite urban. Oh, sorry, <laughs> he rented there a, a flat, I believe. He babbled incoherently, but some words repeated. Would he, would he have seen the environs from whence he spawned descend from this place and commit the heresy of the crossing into stone and wood of yesteryear? Was he that kind of imbecile? By framing the question in terms of his shortcoming, I had my answer. What kind of imbecile wasn't he? <laughs> he had certainly got himself lost with no cover and nowhere in particular to go. He had ruined his own life with his malarkey. Now he would certainly see some ashen abandonment and wander towards it, mesmerized by memory. And so I asked myself, as there was no one else around, should you follow him or die in accordance with the scriptures? But I'd already tried to die alone. And apparently the minuscule social pressure required to stop one's heart was missing. <laughs> the next question was, had he returned down the path that led me here, or walked, I guess, directly towards the city, right at it, down through steep woodlands, unmarked by any trail? I used my finger to pick up a thought. And the thought was this. He had come this way, I had his case. He had come this way, the path was clear and well marked, if merciless and rocky. I would have caught sight of him if he had descended that way, unless he passed me while I slept. But then, would he have left his beloved suitcase under my snores? Ah, it could have been, I know that I had misinterpreted every sign as if the clues I thought I had found were false, akin to an ant imagining a tree from seeing only the bark. But, God, I did not want to turn back. I left the hovel behind. I, I did not want to feel the damp of the sea again or walk the contours of the island. And so, I decided to go to the city, where I had never been. 
the city that did not exist. My descent was unsuccessful. One might say it was folly, but it was not a jaunt, and there were no laughs. Not that I laughed, not that I remember laughter. My friends certainly hadn't laughed in years, not even at my misfortune. Forest and trees don't laugh, and neither does the ocean. <laughs> the pathetic remnants of the village, the shopkeeping gangrenous farmers, none laugh. They see no reason to. They subsist, as we all do. They smoke pipes. Perhaps they make observations, but to what purpose? Soon, nothing will grow, and no one will listen. And even if they did listen, nothing at all can be made right that is now wrong with things. Where was I? The floppy descent, where my balls took a drubbing. <laughs> It was as if branches were magnetically drawn to my balls. <laughs> so thoroughly and accurately would they whack at them. It was as if the forest wanted to hack them right off. Hit them until they snapped. The forest was foreboding to look down upon them. I knew there would be no path. I should have known to stop. My balls were punished. Ah! Took the brunt of my error. Gravity, you see, works differently going down than up. On the way up, the pace was like an anchor to the last place I placed it. Every motion was a fight. But now, whoa, with the case in hand, held to my front, clutched to my heart, my balance was for shit. I am not a ballerina on my best days. And whatever wiry strength I have is offset by age and untreated injuries. Uh, so, once gravity grabbed hold of my body and the inclining angles turned severe, uh, I was a goner! Tumbling through hard branches, uh, onto my face, uh, rolling to my side, uh, trying to get my feet beneath me, uh, onto my face again! Uh, who knew? Who ever suspected? that leaves could get paper cuts. <laughs> at last, as I came to a rolling stop at the foot of the hill, I looked upon an old broken road that led into the city as it had been. Seeing no sign, of course, of my friend, I continued forth. I called out his name. My breath is weak. My body hurts from stirring the bow. The ass-faced buffoon was in the city. I knew, wandering, no echoes could reach him. Dragging myself, what was left of me, and the case, what was left of it, I realized that empty buildings least of all, the most empty things. Emptier than any ocean of forest. They make no sound. Their desiccation lacks the majesty of a desert. At least the ones I saw in the film. <laughs> Cities do not decompose. They leave no smell. They do not bloat or change. They feed nothing below. And so I have little to say of my time in the city, the long walk through its grid, 
as life began to fade and nothing replaced it. The city ran on lamplight, all cracked now. The city had been called New Lanolin. For the farmers, or the trade. The lamb and the products derived from them, <laughs> all gone now, bled like the best of things. There will never be any more plays or films here. And what's worse, anything made here, even once appreciated, is lost and forgotten. Everything is the library of Alexandria, you might say, if you weren't me. I would never say anything so lofty. <laughs> All I know is no one will miss it because there was no one left to. Yes, I called out for him. Desperately. Hoarsely. Sadly. Meek. As I neared the border of the city at its widest point, I wondered if I should backtrack and weave my way through it. Perhaps he had laid down in some crusted corner and forgotten himself, or was lost, or dead already, torn apart by the weak hunters of flesh that are left, spindly coyotes, maybe, in packs. Maybe he was knocking on his old door, expecting he might let himself inside. Or he was hiding. The thought that he might be averting my gaze or watching me wander in search of him around each corner made my heart swell with need. Perhaps a kind of love for the first time washed over me, for the first time in years anyway. I am not a perfect companion. I stink, for one. And I do talk. I prattle. I am told that I cannot keep myself quiet and that I go on. I tell stories. Sometimes I could go off in some direction they shouldn't. I can do that. I know how I am. How unwelcome I am when I approach others. How they keep their eyes averted. And not only because of the dangers of the age. I've observed the warmth, the hand on the shoulder that other human beings sometimes display. Once I saw a man show his son how to pet a dog so patiently. How the man produced a child in this pile of bullets and shit mystifies me still. Perhaps it wasn't his issue, but some child that he stole or found. There are children that are stolen from their parents. It has always been so. I, I can't judge. My, my feet have trampled on necks. My fingernails have unlocked doors. My teeth have 
venues for more of the eating my food. So, father or no, uncle or no, he saw that this child, this little person, wanted to approach this dog that had made itself known. Alone, not in a pack. Someone's lost domesticate. Something trained without a master left. He knelt down, his hand on the boy's back. He looked the dog in the eyes, reached his hand out, palms up, getting low to the dog's level. The dog watched as the boy imitated the man. They were close together, the man and the boy, and they mirrored each other and were careful. The dog wagged a little, its tail. Nothing else wags on a dog. <laughs> I won't tell you the ending. Because the point isn't how the dog came or did not come. The man's hand on the boy. His hair, his shoulder, his arm. Neither seemed to mind or recoil. There was not love in it, there was patience. One human and another human being human in this place that is not for us and perhaps never will. Even when my lover died, she seemed unhappy that it had been me. <laughs> that she'd gotten the short end, the last pick of kickball. I say love her only because she would not marry me, and she had no one else. And we touched a little, yes, at first, and then the, that faded, and then it was gone. There at the border of the city, crying out for my friend. Nothing to write home about. Nothing to speak of. No one to be proud of. His parts were as likely to fall off and fall asleep. I feel a deep desire for him to call back. To affirm what I thought I knew. What we are. I'd fed him and cleaned him, but to be responded to in that moment, I would have given my life for it. But no, no sound, nothing. I walked through and out the other side of New Lanolin, across a bridge that took me west, away from the city of the sea, over a river that hooked around the top of the city and created its northern borders. The river that, I can only assume, was the place the city dumped its sewage, until there was no more sewage or piss. 
It was then I came to the place we are now. Together. As the road thinned and broke apart and fell away, I walked west, west, and further west until all that was, the development spurred by the sea and all its gifts, faded behind. <coughs> the low plain of beige earth, yellow grass continued out before me. limitless, its horizon unreachable, <coughs> not a mountain or cloud, just little dots, silhouettes at uneven, indiscernible distances apart. People, if you can believe that walking in the plain, away from the city, away from each other, dissipating. One of them might still be him. And while I, I no longer cry out for him, I still carry his case with me. I hope to return it to him someday. Sometimes I find someone who has decided to vend to the others, a little pickle sandwich or two, some water from the back of a satchel or from a hole in the ground. I do not ask about the economics of this. What would I do with the answers? Put them in a hole in the ground. I sleep on the ground when I'm tired. I stand up and walk when I'm ready. It never rains. And the sun never beats down. It is the same always. The sun has decided exactly how far it would like to be from us. And it will not budge for anyone. Certainly not for us. Whoever we are whoever we were. I know that I have driven him away. Or perhaps I I hope to beg his forgiveness for whatever made him leave me behind, to give him back what belongs to him, even to conspire with him finally to die. I, I cannot seem to do it alone. I hope I do not drive you away. I hope that although my voice is awful and my eyes fail and my manner disagreeable. I have sparked 
some part of your memory, an iota of an image, a synapse has fired that you once thought extinct. Perhaps you've seen him. Heard of a man like him? Heard of a man like me? Here, in the vast open plain. <laughs> well, we could be anywhere. Have you seen him? Thank you for listening to The Sea, The Mountains, The Forest, The City, The Plain. If you enjoyed this audio rendition of our work, check out Theater Accidents' other podcast offerings at Theater Accidents' website or wherever you find podcasts. Please subscribe to the Theater Accident podcast to hear new audio dramas. And please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. We'd really appreciate it. And until next time, keep listening.